doesn't go there as much as he did when he used to do the same thing the Yeah, I did it for 19 years there, I think, like that. A long time. Yeah, yeah. As long as I was in the country. Then when I was away, I'd have other people do it. Lloyd did it for a while, a long time ago. Lord and another guy. Yeah. I haven't seen them in a while. But, uh, yeah, so... Well, the message is simple. I mean, you already have a clarity about the problem. You just may not know the exact nature of the wrong of it, but the problem resides in the mind, as it says in the, in the big book. You know? It's a pretty good diagnosis, geographical diagnosis. Though it's not a, ge- a geographical place, but you know what I mean, the head. So... You have to narrow it down and say, well, all right, well, what part of the head's driving me crazy? Or I would say it's a thought system, yes? So you're hearing thoughts, aren't you? All day, like broadcasts, little snippets, little things that just like pop onto the screen. And uh, language is, is the key because there's concepts, they mean something, the thoughts, yeah? So, and they mean something on different occasions based on your condition. But see, what happened with me, I remember I came into AA in 1988. Uh, I had been three months in a program called Project Return, I guess in 1980-something, in Bronx, New York, and then two years in Delancey Street, 85 to 87. I think the first one had AA in there somehow, but everything was going over my head completely then. I just didn't hear a damn thing that the, the, the counselors were telling me. And, uh, and then I got in trouble, and I didn't, I didn't feel like I should have been blamed for something, because they made you uh, like a person to watch another guy who came in younger. So we went, we used to go to Coney Island to the beach from the Bronx, take the F train all the way there, and this guy who I was supposed to be watching over went into the bathroom. I wasn't going to go in the bathroom with him, and he smoked something in the bathroom. And then when we got back to the facility, they sort of said, hey, you know, you fucking got to be watching it. And I said, I'm like going to go in the toilet with him. So they threw me back into the beginning of the program, and I just flipped, uh, uh, split. And that was... Uh, that was a horrendous move on my part. It really was. I ended up in the giant armory in the Bronx that night. With over like, they brought me in late because I was down in the. It was such just a typical AA thing. I had I was going out with a psychiatrist at the time, and I'd been getting staying in touch all while I was in the thing. And so when I told her I was leaving. I said, you know, I got to make a call. I said, I'll be there at 9. And I got met some girl on the subway and got loaded with her. Didn't get to this lady's apartment till 1 in the morning, and she wouldn't have me. She said, no fucking way. And I didn't have nowhere to go. And I was down in the village in the city, and so I went to a place, an open clinic, and they took us, all these people, and took us to this army back up on the Bronx, brought you to a little cot with a, with a flashlight, and then in the morning you wake up and it's light and there's like 200, there's 2,000 people or more there. And it's like this teeming little fucking subculture. You know, oh, it was fucking, it's really fucking crazy. Well, what happened is years later I end up in Delancey Street and so five, two years I spent in there. And it helped me quite a lot, but I knew something was missing and I didn't know what it was. So I was talking to these old timers there. 
because their idea of success, they used to really promote a great success rate the Lancet Street. But you had to read the small print because it says if you never leave, <laughs> if you don't leave Delancey Street, you'll stay sober. I mean, live there the rest of your life. And I, I didn't want to be institutionalized <laughs> to that extreme, so I just I graduated. I had no defense against taking over again, because and they had no support. They froze you out basically when you decided to leave. They didn't want other people in the program to talk to you. And, because they were afraid you'd give them ideas, you know, about getting out of there. So I left, and I just got quickly that irritability, restlessness, and discontent came back. I had an apartment, which I lost in about three weeks, but I had a place with these girls in Larkin and Filburn. And I went to a, I drove down to California in Polk to a bar I used to go to called the Rose and Thistle back there. It's, now it's a plant shop. It was the last time I saw it. It's been about nine incarnations, but we used to call it the nose and sniffle. So I parked my car, which I had, I was going to lose two days later, went in there. And after about a year being in Delancey Street, I figured my problem was narcotics, which was true. But I made a little statement that I filed away, which is I could probably drink, and I didn't run it in with anybody in the facility. I just sort of stored it up there. And so it was always lurking, and then I get out, and then my head, you know, starts running a big advertisement because I'm feeling uncomfortable. I have a lot of time on my hands. I'm off of work. I don't have anyone to tell me what to do, and 11 o'clock at night seems like an eternity away, you know. I didn't know what I was going to do with myself, so started to feel irritable, restless, discontent. My head started running an advertising, what I'd been missing for two years. No facts at all involved in it, just a spin. I bought it, drove that to that bar, and had my first drink in two years. And then as soon as I drank one beer, it wasn't... No, I, one beer was great. I, real, I had impunity. I thought, fuck, this is awesome. Nothing happened. The lights didn't come on. A police didn't rush in. <laughs> I ordered another beer. Halfway through the second beer, I wanted more. And I don't know what more was is for you. Maybe more alcohol for me. It's something else. So, uh, this is one a very hard lesson I learned because when I'm not drinking, narcotics are really far away. But as soon as I had the first beer, I was on running. So that's what happened. I looked around, some you know, to see if anyone was selling more. And the same guy that used to sell more two years before was still there selling me in like a franchise, <laughs> selling more. Kissed his ass enough to get a little more. Went to my car, which I lost two days later. Did a line of more coke. And it was like that movie, The Shining, with Jack Nicholson coming through the door at the end. And here's Johnny. It was just like that. And in hindsight now, over the years, I definitely see alcoholism as a parasite, a parasitical movement. It's not a thing. You can't x-ray it. You'll see its effects on your organs and shit. You will never find alcoholism because it's not a thing. It just appears in the mind, in the head. It's like a non-entity parasite, or like a foreign installment. So it's something that takes us over and uses us for transportation. And its greatest disguise, it, it presents itself as you. Yeah. So you can't discern the you from the you. So when it's jacked into your thought system, they sound just like your thoughts. 
and you you're related to them as your thoughts and in that in that relationship they have a huge sway over you because if you heard a, if you heard Stanley's thoughts up here you'd have more discernment if they were insane or not but when they hear like your they sound like yours you fucking lose all discernment yeah you think they're great ideas <laughs> really <laughs> you know so that thing kicked in so quickly it was mind boggling and I slid down so fast it didn't take me almost any time to pass what I once thought was pitiful and comprehensible demoralization to a much deeper, more defined level of that. Because I had gone to college in Delancey Street. They had told me that period of my life was over. It was going to be clear sailing from now on. And I hoped they were right, but I had a strong suspicion they weren't. And, the, and uh, man, I was fucked for ten months. And I washed up... And I'm not one who came on a bottom. I'm just going to share, you know, and then we'll go into it. I'm, I'm not one of us that comes on a bottom. Bottoms I call home, you know. I furnished them, I invited you over. With this strange feeling I was going to get evicted quickly, which I did, to a deeper, worse bottom. But it didn't seem like a bottom was going to do it for me. Especially after Delancey Street. I was so fucking defeated by then, because I really thought I'd given it a good shot. And I had two years separation from its active takeover of me. I didn't know it was lying in wait until I got out of, out of the walls of the Lancet Street to pounce, and that it had been patiently fine waiting for it that time because it knew it was going to come. So I went on that run for 10 months, and then uh, I remember went out March 17th, 1988, St. Patrick's Day. Not like I, it was any different than any at night, but it's easy to remember. And I lost my friend's car on March 18th. March 19th and 20th, I don't know what happened. It was sort of in a blackout. But I woke up in Cal... I came to in Calistoga, two hour and a half north of here, in a trailer with a guy I didn't know. Not horizontally. I wasn't with him horizontally. I was sitting with him drinking Royal Gate Vodka, which was a Royal Gate I had entered many times. I knew Royal Gate was... Very familiar to me. Very cheap fucking lighter fluid, fuel, whatever. So I always like to talk about it because I've seen their bottles, you know, and uh, knowing their clientele, they switched from glass to plastic because you used to drop it, it would ruin your night. Now it bounces <laughs> back. <laughs> I've seen it, really. I've seen them squished along the road. I go, ah, that's Royal Gate. That's the same lousy fucking emblem, whatever. Well, so I was just sitting there, regular day at the office. I mean, literally, a regular day at the office. I had no thought about doing anything about it other than to just try to, try to outrun the inevitable three parking spaces of institution, jails, and death. You know? Because that's the only three places I was ending up almost all the time. Mm -hmm. Institutions, the lands, the streets, jails, right? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> jail, definitely, and death. I died a couple of times, overdoses and everything. So, suddenly, I'm looking at this guy, and he's got a big head, very big head, very big person, really. And a big bulbous nose with varicose veins all over his face. And I said to myself, this guy's a bum, you know. 
Lo and behold, he was looking back at me like I was a bum. <laughs> and that was the moment of clarity. See, I didn't come here on a bottom. This was truly a divine intervention for me. Something paused my head before I ever knew what pause meant. It stopped my thinking for about, I don't know, four or five minutes. And shit started to download. I like to, see, I like what it says in the book more than what the first step says. The first step we admit that we were powerless over alcohol. I admitted that tons of times to get a drink. I admitted tons of times I was a drug addict to get some more, to get money. But it says in the book, it says we had to admit to our innermost self. Now, I couldn't find the innermost self, but this download found the innermost self. The download pierced through the little horizontal asteroid belt of my mental state. Yeah, it broke through and it went somewhere. I didn't know was it, and it was a there, really. But something hit and it was like a CNN news flash in my head. No story, just a headline. And the headline was, I'm fucked. <laughs> now, I had been fucked for quite a while, but it, I had, it hadn't dawned on me. I hadn't, my, my whole life was about denying this, this fear, this fact. But the muscle, my muscles of denial used to be like Arnie Schwarzenegger's. I had to work so hard to keep this fucking reality at bay, but it crashed in and I was fucked. And there was a sober assessment that's never changed ever since. I was struck sober. As simple as that. And for 27 and a half years, I have never had a thought or a feeling about getting high. I have no fucking interest in it. Just like it says on page 84, 85, the problem doesn't exist for me anymore. As one of the one of the other promises in the book, that's it can come to pass. The problem will not exist for you anymore. And in a sense, that problem about the insanity that precedes the first drink does not exist anymore for me anymore. I do not have the insanity that precedes the first drink. I don't. That's why the first drink doesn't happen. Now the other insanities, after or beyond or way back when, all right, I don't care about that because that one insanity promoted the biggest takeover of my whole life was by this parasite of uh, alcoholism. Yeah? Because alcoholism, alcohol, you know, alcoholism can't drink. It needs to drink to get the experience of what it wants to get. It has to go through an interface of experience, which is the body. It has to be put into the body. And something that has something to do with this hand has to comply with the parasite's wish to put it in. The parasite can't pick it up. That's why it's so busy yapping up there, because it's just like every other parasite. There's, there's a study now about other parasites. One of them, they call it Toxo as a nickname, but it's a long name. Toxo is one of the big... It, it's in so many fucking animals and mammals and rats and mice and everything. And it's in humans. About one-third of humans have it in their brain. Well, this parasite has an incredible limitation based on, based on its location in cats and rats and people. Is It can only reproduce in the stomach of a cat. That's the only... That's its whole imperative is to procreate, to reproduce instinctually 
and yet it has the, one of the highest degrees of difficulty to succeed in that because it's stuck in another fucking body of another thing. So it has to do what? It does is it jacks into the brain, just like alcoholism jacks into our head. It jacks into the brain of cat, of rice, and uh, I mean mice and rats, and it tells the rat when you see a cat, run towards it. <laughs> I swear they have videos of it. It's great. There's these four cats are hanging out near this wall on the noonday sun. Then a rat shows up, and he runs right to him. Like, come on, eat me, eat me. <laughs> Starts whipping it with itself. Come on, <laughs> because it that and people. Oh, nothing can take us over. Well, what's the biggest imperative in instinctual self-preservation? And the parasite dominates it like that in rats and mice. Yeah, you ever see try to kill a fucking mouse or a rat? It's incredibly powerful. It has a huge desire to keep on living, but here it totally surrenders that under the sway of the parasite, and runs to its demise. There's other ones. There's things that it can only reproduce in water, and it's found in bugs. It drives the bugs to jump in the pools, and then it can come out, this giant fucking worm. Or the famous ones are cordyceps, which is a giant species of mushrooms. Yeah, this is mind-boggling. This was the first one someone said to me because I've been talking about alcoholism as a parasite for years. So people send me on the internet all this stuff about parasites. The first one they ever sent me was about this one cordyceps mushroom strain that the same problem. It has spores, though. Yeah, and the basically its its reproduction is very very fragile because it's based on wind or some animal coming by and sticking on the spore sticks on it and hopefully the animal will go somewhere that's hospitable to hop to mushrooms so these do the same thing the spores go and they they land on an ant they burrow into the ant jack into its head tell it where to go like a dank dark place <laughs> so the ant just wanders around. Once it arrives at the mushroom's desired location, it kills it and it pops out of the fucking head. And the funny thing with these cordyceps, each different species of this mushroom targets a different insect. One strain, ants, others, fucking locusts. And they just target a whole different one. They're so specialized, they fucking... <laughs> They fly around, look for that motherfucker, and then get in there, bring them to they want, bam, kill them, and then they grow out of their heads. It doesn't sound like alcoholism. Look at all the freaking people tonight who are in a destination. They didn't want to go there. People do not want to be in Delancey Street. They're not sitting near a coffee table looking at their vacation plans on brochures. Oh, I think I'll go for two years to a drug and alcohol program full of convicts. No. We're driven to the same place. Look at what they say in NA. Institution, jails, and death. Take a huge sociological study of our community, recovered people, and see so many different ethnicities, upbringings, but so many of you end at the same three parking spaces, institutions, jails, and death. There's one driver. 
You're not driving the sh- You're not running the show. That fucking thing has jacked into your head and runs the show. And when you get relief from it, it spends tons of time trying to convince you and bring you to a point of what? Fuck it. And when you hit fuck it, you're apt to do anything. And it will give you a suggestion to do. Oh, fuck it. Let's get loaded. There you go. Once it gets its fuel, it's not talking to you anymore. It's talking as you. For quite a while, doesn't it sound like your head's trying to convince you of something? I think so. It feels like that, doesn't it? Your head sounds like it's talking to you. Like, oh, Paul, you know, it'd be really nice to get high and maybe you could go out and meet a woman and stuff like that. It sounds like it's selling, it's trying to sell something to something, isn't it? It's not like just, if it was you, it wouldn't have to, it wouldn't waste a breath on you. <laughs> it wouldn't. You wouldn't have as many thoughts as you're seemingly having now because most of the time it's busy trying to convince you of something. Either that you're fucked, they're fucking you, they're fucked, but above all, because it needs, it wants that fuel, because that fuel is what lets it express. It's sort of like, let's say you find an alcoholic who's in recovery, it's like his head's like an acoustic guitar. An alcoholic who's active, it's electric guitar. So let's say you have a little tendency to be jealous. Yeah? All right, well, fine, you've got it pretty subdued. You drink and stuff, you're up on stalking charges. Maybe you have a tendency to get violent. You've got a pretty, you know, everything's cool. I haven't flipped out. Start drinking, you're fucking in a fight that night. This is what happens. Or if you have a tendency to go to jail, guess what? <laughs> so, so beer in there, alcohol, you'd probably be in jail by the end of the week. That's what happened with me. When I'm taken over by the parasite, it puts out a very, very strong pulsation that attracts people in uniform. That's what it does. When I've been drinking and using, I get arrested. Because I, since I haven't been drinking and using, I haven't been arrested. You know? They're not picking the police on suddenly turning around to follow me now. Where before they did. I got arrested on a Sunday morning at a beautiful river in my hometown. Just sitting on the banks. I could do that for every day of the week for a year. And I would not one police would be coming at me now. But that day, you'd walk up cars. <laughs> so something was... <laughs> If you have that, bro, you're not gonna, it's not going to serve you. That's why sobriety, it's the only thing the parasitical juice respects is a power greater than it. It doesn't give a fucking damn about, oh, I can't fuck up, I'm getting married next week, or I got an important interview, or <laughs> doesn't give a damn about anything. All the thing, the only thing that's going to get its attention is something stronger than it. That's what AA's whole point is, is you need to find something, a power greater than self. You have to have a power in your life that's greater than self. And in our conditions, being identified as a self, we're quite easily taken over. Because the same thing that supports the idea of being a self, which is the my of the thoughts and the my of the feelings, the alcoholism will jack into that and have a field day with you quite easily. You have no fucking... When I go to see young people in recovery now, they're fucking totally, thoroughly overmatched. They're overmatched. They have no fucking idea what's going on. 
And you can all you can be is like a dangerous warning to them. Hey, I'm just telling you, bro. I've seen you. <laughs> I've seen you before, and it's not going to look good in a few months. You know, whatever they do with it, that's what they do with it. And the same with me. If I decided to drink something tonight or shoot some coke, I don't care. I don't care how big your spiritual resume is. It would be fucking. Have, it would be null and voided. Because that parasite would take you over and once again use you for transportation. Maybe not immediately that night, but soon thereafter. I've seen it. So, to me, the spiritual awakening is exactly that. You wake up to being spirit. Not, not wake up to the fucking concept that you have a spirit. No, you wake up to the fact that you are a spirit. Most of us are taking ourselves to be a body. A body is never going to become spiritual. I don't care how many yoga classes you take, nor how spelt you are, and how flexible you are, you're still fucking crazy upstairs, probably. <laughs> Literally. You need relief from what you need. The relief needs to be where the problem resides. The problem res- does not reside in the body. It resides in the mind. Yeah. So we need a solution that deals with it right here in its playground. Its effects will be shown in the body, but its source is not the body. It comes here, yeah? And here it directs us. We wouldn't listen to any fucking message that was sent by the elbow. <laughs> no fucking way. But we'll listen to these thoughts like they got on his truth. <laughs> yeah. So this was the whole point. What happened with me, I'll tell you exactly what happened. In a little bit of hindsight, came to AA, had a total fixed shell of terminal uniqueness. Unbelievably, how cut off I was from everything. I didn't. I. I did not believe anyone thought like I did. No one could feel like I would know how I felt. No one could understand the heinous, terrible things I did. Yes. And with that, I get washed up into AA. And what happens? I go to meetings, people share what? Their thoughts, their feelings, their reactions to life. After a few months, I could only come to two conclusions. How did they get my thoughts? Or they're not my thoughts. How did they have... I can't believe this guy feels like him. I wouldn't even go, I wouldn't even get high with this guy, but he actually feels like me quite a lot. Yeah? And you hear it all the time in AA. People will say at a meeting, I can't believe how all of you think just like me and feel like me, but they don't take it to the next step. How could they be your thoughts if everyone has them? They can't be. We have, we're having alcoholic thoughts that we're calling ours because that's the root of the problem. We're identified as the thinker of the thoughts. We can't recognize a foreign thought because the sense of being the thinker of it assumes it must be mine. And they're not ours. And the freedom is from the mind. You don't get freedom from thoughts. Thoughts are going to happen. You get freedom from the my thoughts. You get freedom from being the thinker. That's where the freedom lies. You cannot have no thoughts here. This is an action figure that has a little GPS and a computer chip that goes, hey, you're hungry, and you do go look for the, you know? This thoughts inform this fucking thing of a lot of things, yes? They're not, they're essential. But the idea that they're yours is not, is not even close to being true. It's like, do you... 
I don't care how much coke did you ever do. Tons of coke, let's say. Did you ever did you ever take yourself to be cocaine? Never. No fucking one, not one day did you try to, you know, shrink into a bindle or think you were coke. And I mean, I love coke more than anything I ever loved in this life. I'm serious. I devoted my whole life to it. Shot it up every which way. Three bay tons of it. I would do anything for it. I loved it. Yeah? But I never became coke. But we are already the problem. As, as, the, as the recovery book says, we're not people with problems, we are the problem. We're identified as that which we're not. We are truly behind the eight ball. Yeah? There's a beautiful old thing, I was reading it the other day, and it talks about obsession, the definition of obsession from an old dictionary, and it's like, the domination of thoughts and feelings by a persistent image. The domination of thoughts and feelings by a persistent image. So, when you listen to thoughts and they're about you, how are you pictured by the thoughts? When you think about you a week ago, how are you pictured? You're pictured as a body, yes? You can't picture yourself as a spirit because it's impossible. You go, oh, my spirit was looking a little pale last week, or it seems like my spirit, my spirit got bigger, or you know what I mean? It has a limp now. I never noticed I had a limp. The spirit had a limp. No, the thought system which we're listening to, like a fucking GPS, aren't we? And it's a fucking failed GPS, and it's got super old maps, and they never take us to where we really want to go. Yet we keep plugging into it and taking it like the Greek oracle. It's not out for your well-being. It's a fucking rogue system, a failed system, because it's been co-opted by the parasite of alcoholism. So you see it. Yeah. I listen to people and I hear exactly where they're coming from and I know I don't want to go come from there. So I keep going back to the same, the same, same solution. The idea of being the thinker is the, is the most addictive thought of all. It's the one thought you never see because it precedes all the other thoughts and it puts itself as the one who, the claiming of all the other thoughts, as I'm the thinker. But that's also a thought. Yeah. What would happen if you weren't guided or directed by that faulty GPS? Maybe you could plug into another modality. Maybe you could access another GPS. Yeah. I totally believe we do, which is the grace of AA. The grace of AA says, hey, why are you in so much fear today? Isn't it because self-reliance has failed you? That's it. That's its diagnosis. Fear seems to be a huge topic here. It just told you it's not even about fear. The fear grows out of the self-reliance. And why does self-reliance produce fear? Because it's a failed system. If you're relying on a failed system, you're going to grow in a lot of fear about what? That it's not going to fucking work out. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, like, it's totally logical. It's not like the fear is outlandish. It's totally logical based on what you're relying on, which is self. 
So if you want to get out of fear, get out of reliance on self. Oh, how can you possibly do that? Live the third step. As it says, God can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Expand what you can't do for yourself. Throw every fucking thing in there and see how it works. For me, I've been doing it for 27 years. I'm happy with the results. Simple as that. My whole program is still based on what happened that time in that trailer park. That sober assessment that I'm fucked. Not managerial quality. Can I tell you what self-delusion bubble you helped me burst because of your talks? I had this delusion that I loved all you. Okay, I had a drinking problem, so I attached myself to all these great drinker writers. It's like, if only I could be a great writer. All my problems, if only I could be like them. So I couldn't, so I kept drinking. Because I thought, I'll write better if I drink more, then I'll have all these terrible stories to tell. Mm-hmm. And with the help of you, I, you know, I started realizing these great, a great writer is just somebody who can take their personal bullshit and make everybody get into it. They're not that great. So like, <laughs> you know, no, but I mean, in a way, what you're doing is greater than Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway's like, you know, I saw the water, the water was blue, you know, he goes, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's his bullshit. That he makes us all into his bullshit. That's his. He doesn't just have the bullshit you're talking about of us. He's able to get everybody. Aren't you into my bullshit? And everybody goes, "Oh my god!" And this is all bullshit. Well, I think the best way, the best recycling of this shit is through comedy. (laughs) I swear, like uh, Dave Chappelle. Oh yeah. All these dudes. I mean, I love this fucking thing's hilarious if you don't take it seriously. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) It really is because it's so it's incredibly mind-boggling what it will introduce. It's got it's brazen, quite ballsy sometimes. Yeah. And the thing is, it's narrative. It's sort of like this. That thing going on in your head is from maybe 1985. <laughs> the narration, you know. Here I am now. I'm I'm walking across the street, and there's this young lady. And I'm thinking, and she's looking at me. I'm thinking, oh, maybe, you know. And yet, what she's thinking is, should I help that guy cross the street? <laughs> <laughs> I have 1970 narrative. I'm, I'm that Paul, but I'm not that Paul. I never was, nor am I this Paul, but this Paul looks a lot different than that Paul. <laughs> you can't get any new maps from that GPS because it's fucking broken. It doesn't, it's never contemporary. It's never here now. It's always about yesterday and tomorrow. There's a freedom. There is a solution. It's simple. Just realize you're not the problem. You're not it. You do. You are, those thoughts are not your thoughts, nor even the actions. You've got to be accountable for them. But like, if my dog shits in the neighbor's yard, I'm accountable. I'll go and clean it up. I am not going to have guilt and shame around it for fucking <laughs> eight, twelve years. I'm not, because I see the distinct difference between me and the dog. We're not seeing the distinct difference between us and alcoholism. We're taking ourselves to be alcoholics, the alcoholic projection. We're not seeing this clearly at all. That's why people, even though it says powerlessness in the first step, powerlessness would mean like if you're dancing with a gorilla, you stop when the gorilla wants to stop. 
Yet then why is that mental state still harvesting guilt and shame based on what happened to what you seem to have done while under the influence? If you truly get the word powerless, there should be some fucking huge relief from the guilt and shame for your behaviors when you're out there. Because something took you over and used you for transportation and never pays the parking tickets. (laughs) Never goes to the court thing. Never goes to jail even. It'll hover around you pointing out you motherfucking stupid asshole you're back in jail. But it never does the time. It gets away with murder. It's like the biggest heist of all time, right in front of our eyes. And we call it's like the policeman we act sometimes as we we the thief appears to be the policeman to catch the thief that's the policeman. Yeah? You're fucked. Self can't get out of self. I don't give a damn how advanced you become as a self, you're not getting out of self. The whole solution to get out of self is realize you were never in self. That's the only thing that works. You know? If you have a spiritual awakening and you wake up that you're a spirit, then when you read that statement, the daily reprieve that's often in AA is, is contingent on the maintenance of your spiritual condition. If you are a spiritual condition, to me that's the highest form of maintenance. If you're a body and you try to become spiritual or try to maintain spirituality, that's fucking a lot of work. Because spirit, body and spirit are like water and oil. They do not mix. They do not mix. They never, they're totally, this is form and spirit is formlessness. How are you going to graft formlessness onto form? The whole spiritual awakening is you finally get the horse before the cart. Spirit precedes body. Body, spirit is not in body. Body is in spirit, basically. The spirit is everything, all this space, and we are appearing as a body, as that space in it, in the space. But this, because we're so self-centered, we believe we're it. We're the center of the universe. And how has it worked out? It doesn't. First of all, the party cannot take the strain of being the center of the universe. It can't. You're turning on this huge, powerful magnification on this all day, you're going to be flipped out. Neuroses are popping every day, people. Just, just fucking... Just action to more neuroses every day. They're so up their ass of their own self, they need a divine proctologist to pull them out just for five minutes. That's the dilemma. The drinking and using are a symptom. They say it in recovery. It's clear it is. The symptom, and of what? The real problem, which is identification as what you're not. You're not a body and a body alone. You're something prior to this place. That's the freedom. As Jesus says, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. So if you want to know what that means, I don't know. I'm not, I wasn't there, and he didn't, he didn't explain it to me. But if you follow it in a logical way, what does in this world mean? Bodies, separation, time, solidity of this shit. Yeah? And he's saying, hey, you're in this, but you're not of it. So therefore, I'm not of body, I'm not of time, I'm not of separateness.
But for us, first things first, you have to get sober. You've got to have the God rails, the G-O-D rails of the sound principles of recovery. If you're an addict or an alcoholic, you need, I need something. For me, maybe there are many gloves, but this glove of AA fit in my hand. It fit me perfectly, alright? So now that that's in place, that keeps this action figure out of jail every fucking week, out of really insane situations, so the, the consequential level calms down enough, then I get untethered to being totally consumed, like living on flypaper, I can now spread some wings and start entertaining other possibilities, like spiritual ones, like contentment, you know, serenity, peace. Those things become available to me. But they're not available to us, though they're available, but they won't be available to us if our lives, consequential lives, are totally chaotic. You're not, peace is not going to land on you if you're loaded, then unloaded, then loaded every week. It's not. It would, it would add to the, the suffering. If you had that contentment and then lost it, it'd be worse as if you never had it. The compassion of life's not going to let it land on a fucking very shaky little uh, platform. So we take care of business, get this thing somewhat clear. Doesn't mean things are going great, but at least it's a little bit... You, you have a northern star, the principle of surrender, and you know reliance on the care of a higher power. That will set... You can set a lot of courses on that, man. And they'll be sound. I mean, I've applied it 27 and a half years in my life, and it's fucking sound. The principles of AA are very sound, and they'll allow you to start traveling lighter here. And then whatever your mind, bigger mind, wants to do, then you'll have the space for it to, to take root, you know. So if you're going to go into quote-unquote spirituality, far out. If you're going to be able to just enjoy picnics on July 4th and maybe have a more than a four-month relationship with somebody, maybe even have a family, that may be the way it goes. I have no idea what your seat assignment is. I know what my seat assignment has been because I can see what I have and what I don't have. And that's the seat assignment. I don't have family, I don't have that, and it's just been the, that's been the calling in this life. So it allows you to, it allows you, let's just put it that way. That's what it does. AA has allowed my life to go in a lot of nice directions. When the alcoholism does not allow that to happen. It's as simple as that. It does not allow it. And yet this relief, of, relief from the bondage of self allows a lot of stuff. A whole lot of stuff that will not be allowed in the bondage of self. Just will they will if they show up they won't be able to sustain you'll fucking destroy them you know or the parasite will through you so that's the solution you know know where you are your limitations if you can't practice these principles in all your affairs limit some of your affairs simple as that don't fucking go where it's not a good idea to be. At least for the beginning, so you get solidified, you know. Because the first year, whatever year it is, and if it's the first year, the most important thing is habits. Because habits are actions without thoughts. And you do not want the problem to have anything to do with your sober actions, or you won't do them. You've got to let them get into habits quickly, 
And then the habits, I don't think about going to an AA meeting, I think about which one. You know, the going to the meeting is a given. Sooner or later, during the week, I'm going to a few meetings. But then I go, which one? See? But the, the basic things that allow me to stay nourished in AA are all in place. They're not debatable, they don't come and go, they've been sound for 27 and a half years, and they're still sound. And to me, that saves you a whole lot of trouble. And then, to get somewhere, I don't know, I have a real meaning to abstinence. I love the word abstinence. I really do. Because a lot of my experience is reverse engineering. Something's happened to me, and then I can tell why it wasn't happening to me by reversing from the solution back to the problem, seeming problem. And abstinence is, to me... I'll tell you a story. A guy that used to be my sponsor nine years, very good program, a lot of stuff, got throat cancer, and then shit happened, changed. So he made it through the throat cancer, and then one day he called me and wanted to meet me for lunch. So I said, all right. So we got together for lunch, having a nice time, and then he tells me he's been drinking successfully for the last couple of months. And I said, and I let him talk, you know, and so successfully. You know, right. So I said, all right, now that when he was done sharing, I said, well, how much do you, were you thinking about this lunch and date? Yeah? And he goes, what do you mean? He says, well, how much were you thinking about the lunch and date? You know, and now when you go out to eat, do you, what do you now, how much do you think about, should I have a glass of wine or shouldn't I? Yeah? What you've lost is peace of mind. You've introduced a possibility parasitical one, and it's going to gnaw at him, gnaw at him, gnaw at him, and it's going to take all that contentment and peace away, because now he thinks he has a choice, where he really doesn't. If he drinks, he's probably going to get fucked sooner or later. Abstinence keeps you from that. You just abstain. You You can even bring it to thoughts. You just, you hear the thoughts, but you don't listen to them. There's an abstinence. You abstain from the thoughts. You abstain from the feelings. You abstain from a lot of shit. And what you're left with is fucking peace. You know? A lot of very strong contentment. But you need at least to have abstinence from alcohol and drugs. You can't be... If you start thinking, you know, if you give yourself a little, it's going to want a lot. Sooner or later. <laughs> it just has to be the way... Like someone, I'm gluten-free, you know, for 17 years or so. So this my landlady made some, some brownies. And jokingly, she says, well, why don't you just take the raisin off of it? I said, no, because if I took the raisin off it, I'd think, oh, I'll take the walnut off it. And, you know what I mean? I'd introduce a possibility. And I'd much rather have it like it says in AA, the problem doesn't exist for you anymore. It's like... That thoroughfare, that huge door in your life has, is almost like was stuccoed over, like it was never there. I like abstinence. I like it where... It's like with my cat. My cat, I never fed it wet food. It never yearned for anything else. All it knew was dry food. Never begged for it. And I would have done it a disservice if I introduced it to wet food because it wasn't going to get wet food every day. But in that ignorance, it was quite happy. But if I were to introduce to something else, then, oh, I don't like that dry food anymore. Yeah? I like abstinence a lot. It's a big word to me. No. So, 
So whatever, stay for the day at least from any drug or alcohol. Let your head clear up so that you can pick up another frequency. Press K Paul or K Steve or K Mitch or K Brad. It's all it's filled with golden oldies and fucking incriminations. You know? <laughs> it's just fucked in there. And it's never going to change. It isn't, man. You're not going to have it. It's not going to come over to the winning side. It isn't. You just got to leave it alone. You got to just walk ahead. And when it starts calling you, just don't look back. Stay on the operating table. Don't get up. Don't play doctor, then things are good. Yeah? Stay on the operating team AA. Don't play doctor. Don't be, oh, I just need, no, no. Have faith in the process. It all works shit out of you. A lot of shit has been undone without me ever pointing out any of it. I just, I'm the recipient of the undoneness. Like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that was there. Yeah, yeah. So I love to see us all stay sober, at least. And then, then you can explore these ideas. But to me, I, I really... They, this is not... What I'm sharing outside of the AA thing is not a path to illumination. But it will illuminate whatever path you're on. Yeah? Because you are the light. So this has brought a lot of illumination to AA for me. What I've entertained after AA. It brought a lot of illumination to AA. It made it really, really alive and uh, just put a big skylight on it, in it. There's no ceiling for me. I think AA, the AA Big Book, is in a profound, uh, a profound book, really, a living fucking book, that a lot of people won't read it because they're not alcoholics or drug addicts, but they're really missing out on a lot because it's got incredible information in there. And you can live it, which makes it even more... You know, because everything it describes as a drug addict and alcoholic I've experienced, and all of its its descriptions of the byproducts of the solution I've experienced. I've never read any book that captured that I I've lived so intimately. Yeah, as a hey, much better than any journal or diary. Really, it's much it captures everything I've ever. You know what I mean? We're listening to Kate Paul right now, right? <laughs> well, this is Kate Paul now. This was Kate Paul broke and went left the unclear channel to the clear channel. <laughs> the franchise, the cable got changed. <laughs> what? Channel nine. <laughs> the cable got changed. <laughs> no porno theater of Paul over Paul doing Dallas and Dallas doing Paul. It's over. <laughs> Paul's passing away. It's fa- he's fading out as we speak. Non-profit, but not, not non-open to your contributions. What? Non-profit, but not non-open to oh, your yeah, contributions, yeah, yeah. you know? Well, I'm happy someone came tonight. I'm seriously thinking I'm going to cancel this thing. Because I, we haven't had many people lately. You know, I go through those waves, but this way... Well, yeah, I think I'll just keep coming back. Yeah. My other meeting I do on Saturday covers this month. You were back east. Or you were in England. Went to England, England, yeah. Wow, England. I love the stuff you talk about in the book, especially how Bill said the word self, whatever it was, I've heard sometimes in the book, and especially the passage about making decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position. Yeah, you I come back to that all the time because that's such a potent little passage. 
It is. Isn't yeah, it? Listening to the, going to the problem for the solution and then acting on it creates these chains of misfortune and circumstances we don't feel we deserve, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm always trying to tell people, like, the problem is our relationship to the noise. Yeah. And it's that, like, making decisions based on that, which then, like you said, don't deliver the goods. No. And, like, how many times do you have to go through that before we get into the rooms of recovery? And then how many times do we have to go through that in sobriety, quote-unquote, before you have that next awakening of, like, dude, no, the main problem with alcoholic centers in his mind. It I wasn't know. just that well, you're getting drunk. That was a, that was a part of it. That really leads to chaos. But then you're still relying on that self-centered system after you get into the absolute model of recovery just in time and clear up. Like, that's the continual need for a second step, because that's continual insanity to keep going back to that, like, and, and the message yeah. that you're not okay. You're, the, the message is always you're not okay and you need something external to fill yeah. the God shaped hole. You said something one night about leave the hole open so that the spirit oh, of God yeah. can just come and do that in the form of love and service. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was such a neat way to flip the whole idea uh, that, of that common phrase that we hear in the room so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, the head's always giving you a shopping list. If you just don't go to the store, <laughs> you'll see, you'll get a whole lot more out of not getting the shit at once than getting anything else. But there's a statement in the AA, which is beautiful, where they talk about uh, you have to be convinced of these three pertinent ideas, and our experience before and after, meaning before you were sober and after you are sober, is that we're alcoholics and cannot manage our own lives. Mm-hmm. That's the main dilemma of the program. Is right there. Well, right, especially as it relates to being sober. Nice to meet you, bro. Again. Yeah, you're right. yeah go right. We're done. Oh, okay, that's right. Hey, brother. I'll call you tomorrow. We'll end anyway. Let's end with a prayer before you go. This is my sponsor, by the way. Oh, good. You're in good hands, man. Let's do this right now. All right, quick one. So the wee version of this. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. It works. What happens? It works.